Amen. I will ask, if you will, keep your Bibles open to Colossians 3 as we're going to walk through that uh, passage together today. Um, throughout the month of August, we are looking at various aspects by which we live Christ-centered lives, where Christ is the center of everything. And so last week we saw uh, stewardship, Christian stewardship, and so... Uh, we discussed finances and what that looks like to give to the Lord biblically. And uh, um, if you were not offended last week, well, today we're talking about submission in the home. <laughs> so we'll just we'll get it all in one big foul swoop and uh, deal with it. No, we're going to look at today relationships, Christ-centered relationships. So husbands, wives, children, uh, parents. Um, masters, slaves, we're going to look at all those things, and all the other categories as well. Next week, we'll look at citizenship. So what's it look like to be a patriot and a believer? So what does that look like? And uh, the last Sunday of the month, we're going to look at in the church and the means of grace by which God has given us uh, to have communion with himself and to grow as believers. Sadly, many Christians, professing Christians, live compartmentalized lives. So they divide their lives up into neat little segments. The home segment, the spiritual segment, the employment segment, the, the, um, uh, what uh, Ted Tripp says, he, he pictures two drawers, and you've got the real-life drawer and you've got the spiritual drawer. He said in the real-life drawer, uh, that's the drawer you dig into the most frequently, and you're comfortable with that drawer. It's got all the stuff for everyday life, like your job, your physical health, friends, family, leisure, money, possessions, your daily routine. That's in that real-life drawer. But then there's that church drawer, the religious drawer, and all the God stuff goes there. Sunday worship, small groups, tithing, offerings, short-term mission trips, evangelistic conversations with your neighbors and extended family. We segment these things. We separate these things. We believe in Jesus. We believe in his forgiveness. We believe in eternity. We believe he's coming back again. But there's a separation between our faith in our everyday lives, and sometimes we segment them, we, we, we separate those things, and they don't touch. But the Christian faith touches everything. Christ is all and in all. Maybe today I'm describing you, that you see a clear break between your home life or your work life and your church life. Today's passage specifically addresses three areas. Ordered relationships. We've got husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and slaves. And so we're going to walk through all three of those. And you'll notice that those three are not in separate drawers, but they are going to flow out of, or they flow from, how Christian should view his life. What the Christian life does look like. If, there at the beginning of the chapter, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, 
where Christ is, is seated at the right hand of God, if you have your mind set on things that are above, not on things of the earth, if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, well, here's what your relationship should look like. All right? And he's going to give these three areas. First area. This is Christ-centered marriage. Do you see it there in verses 18 and 19? We learn in a Christ-centered marriage that the wife is to submit to her husband. Now, there's lots of other passages that deal with submission and authority in, mar- in a marriage relationship. But here, notice verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The command here to submit is different from the command to obey that you see given to children and given to slaves. We're thankful for that. It's good. The husband-wife relationship is different than the relationship between parents or the relationship between a master and a slave. The husband, in a Christ-centered marriage, does not boss his wife around. He does not give her commands. Rather, he lovingly leads her in the home. He is head of the home. So what does it mean to submit? It simply means willing to put yourself under his authority. Are you willing to put yourself under his authority. Submission does not mean that one person is less important or less valuable than the other. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So Christ functionally submits to God, the Father. He came to do the will of his Father. Yet we know that Christ and God are equal in every way. So men and women, they're equal. Equal in importance. Equal in value. Equal in um, dignity and honor. Yet, there's this distinction in role in the home. But the really striking thing, while that might shock our culture to say this kind of thing, the really striking thing is, verse 18, is as is fitting in the Lord. Because this puts Christ at the center of this whole relationship. Christ, it's fitting in the Lord. So we do not submit. Ladies, do not submit to your husbands. They're not better than you or smarter than you or more valuable than you before God. The measure of whether your being a wife has Christ at its center is this. Am I willing to do what the Lord asks me? Am I willing in the Lord to allow my husband to lead? Now, there is a danger in role-playing. And I want to, as I talk about roles, I want to give it that danger. You remember Fiddler on the Roof? I haven't talked about that for a bit. So Remember Fiddler on the Roof? Uh, Tevi asks Goldie, his wife, right, do you love me? Do you remember Goldie's response, do I love you? For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cow. After 25 years, why talk about love now? There is this role, right? She's falling, and and her identity is in this role itself. And sometimes we feel that way, like we're just playing a role, we're just going through these routines, we're acting the part, but that's not good enough. 
Acting parts is not what we're called to do. It's, we're not called for passivity here. The ultimate mark of whether this is a Christ-centered marriage or not is not acting out our parts, but am I willing to fulfill the role that God has instructed me to take on? So, in verse 16, it says, May the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So you can't say, oh, I want the word of Christ to dwell in me richly. And then two verses later say, uh-uh, not that one. <laughs> See that? If this is what a Christian relationship looks like, Christ being the center of it, and isn't this contra the fall? Think of Genesis 3, Right? where the curse is spoken, and on the woman it says, your desire's going to be for your husband. What's that mean? Is she's really, really this passionate lady? No, no. We understand that by the second part of what he says, but he shall rule over you. She has a desire to rule, but rather she's going to be ruled and not in a loving way. So this is part of the fall, abuse, part of the fall. Uh, it is sinful and ugly, and, and as one um, Bible, um, study Bible I have says, in ever since there's been that battle of the sexes going on, he will rule over you. Isn't this, contra, isn't this in contrast to everything the, the world tells us this relationship look, should look like? So I just, real quick, plea, young ladies, unmarried ladies, if you're getting married, do not remove that phrase from your wedding vows. I know it's popular. I know it's cool to say we just want to write our own and, and oh, it'd be so good. No, no, keep that. This is what a Christ-centered marriage looks like. It's fitting and appropriate. Why? It's appropriate in Christ. It's fitting in Christ. This is how God has designed the home. It's fitting in the Lord that wives submit to their husbands. It's fleshed out even more in Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So it's the first part of the equation. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And we just want to pause right there. Are you, ladies, are you glorifying God in that way? Or are you grumbling in your heart and you say, I've got different designs. <laughs> yeah, God, you've designed marriage, and, but I don't really like this pattern. Well, my first thing to say is not submit to your husband. It's to submit to God's word. And I want to say with that, don't submit to all men, <laughs> right? So John Callie does not submit to me, has no, no bearings on that. It's not to all men. This is God's structure of a home, that there be a head and that we have function and, and uh, authority structure in the home. Conversely, I do want to say this before we move on, men... This means you're responsible to lead. So lose the effeminate spirit of our age. Lose the passivity. 
And I know every husband in Hollywood and on television, they show us buffoons and incompetent men, and they've all been neutered of leadership. Dismiss it all. You have a responsibility before the Lord to lead your spouse. is depending on you to lead. Don't shirk your duties. You say, but she's a lot smarter than I am. Yeah, we all know it. All of us know that. But this is God's design. Will you lead, men? Will you do that? Secondly, let's move on to the husbands. Uh, Donna, here you go. Donna said, I'm fine with you dealing with the submission part if you deal with the rest of it. So here we go. We're going to deal with all of it. Men. Here we go. Christ-centered relationships. They're never one way. God's commanded both parties here, right? So here's the instruction for the husbands. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Do not uh, be harsh with them. Verse 19. Notice the husband gets two commands. Love his wife. Don't be harsh with her. So Verse 14, we're told, put on love. It's this supreme virtue. Love that willingly sacrifices self in order to care for the other. A love which God demonstrates for us when Jesus sacrifices himself on the cross for our sins. In fact, the parallel passage in Ephesians 5 makes that connection. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then, husbands, don't be harsh with your wife. This word harsh carries the idea of bitterness. So if you have a New American standard, you'll notice it says, husbands, love your wives, do not be embittered against them. So husbands, guard against having a bitter heart that reacts to your wife with harshness rather than sweetness. Overbearing, harsh critical relationship with your wife, if that's what it looks like, we are not fulfilling our role as God intends. Two commands. And God instructs husbands, wives, work together. Within this marriage relationship, there's this mutual desire to please one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, a, man, uh, a married man is concerned about how he can please his wife. A married woman is concerned about how she can please her, her husband in verses 33 through 34. When a husband works on his role in the marriage and the wife works on her role in the marriage, this is our best step. But once we stop looking at our own role and we only focus on what the other is doing... Oh, you don't submit nearly as much as you should. And you don't love me nearly as much. When that becomes our focus, our homes become a battleground. We equip and assist each other to fulfill what God commands of us in the relationship. Both spouses work together. And here's the, their actions have to be voluntary and from the heart. We don't function out of manipulation. How to manipulate someone for our own selfish purposes. So wives, never submit to your husband thinking, uh, if I do this, I'm going to get this way with him or this out of him. Husbands, never love your wives in such a way to say, well, if I treat her this way, then I'm going to get to... Have my way. 
That's selfish. It's wicked. We're not manipulative. When you look at this first pair of commands, what's really going on here is both the husband and the wife are called to be Christ-like. She's Christ-like when she submits to her husband the way the church submits to Christ. The husband is being Christ-like when he loves his wife the way Christ loved the church. So Christ is the center of this marriage relationship. Second relationship we see is the parenting relationships, right? Notice, commands for parenting here, they come after the commands for the marriage relationship. Marriage relationship comes first. And now here's the commands for children. So kids, listen up. All kids, got your papers you've been working on? Here you go. So you can fill it in. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 20, the word for children here is children by relationship. So that children, if you're living at home, listen to me. The command here, it's not, this is obedience, not voluntary submission, which you just saw with the, with the wives. Because the parent-child relationship is different than husband and wife relationship. The child is to obey the parents in everything. The ch- children, you don't get to pick and choose what you want to obey. You don't get to pick and choose that. You don't get to bargain or barter. Hey, okay, Dad, you told me to do that, but if I do this, how about if I do this instead? No, there's no bartering. You obey your parents. The only exception being the same is with the government. Right? We obey the government and everything unless the government tells us to sin against God's law. So it is with parents. Now, this is pretty typical, though. Uh, uh, the time when this is being written, uh, children were expected to obey their parents. It does not look like our world today. But once again, this section is Christ-centered, isn't it? Here's the additional instruction, not just to obey your parents, But what? For this pleases the Lord. Children, listen to me. You obey your parents, not just because it's right, but because it pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord. Remember Ephesians 6.1? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Christ is our example in Christ's inner relationship. So Christ's life, kids, Jesus obeyed his parents at all points. So the fifth commandment, he never broke the fifth commandment, did he? He honored his father and mother. You are being Christ-like when you obey your parents. If you're a child today, every, every single precious one of you, listen, obey your parents. The Bible calls you to obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Memorize Ephesians 6.1. And so what's that look like? Dad says, go do this, and your heart says, that's stupid. Or, why? Don't. Don't, not only don't say it, but tell your own heart, 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Remember this, when, when your heart wants to say why, or your heart wants to say but, or your heart says uh, no, or your heart says this is stupid, remember this, it's pleasing the Lord. That's what it's doing. That's the why. That's the but. And that's not stupid. So he speaks to children, but he also speaks to the parents, doesn't he? Fathers, do not provoke your children or they will become discouraged. So here, again, there's that uh, uh, corresponding command, not just to the one party, but to both parties. Fathers, do not provoke your children or they will become discouraged. And while this says, right, this is specifically a command applied to or, or specifically speaks to the, the fathers as head of the home, because he is the head of the home, and because the wife is in submission to him. It applies to both parents, mothers as well. Parents have far-reaching authority in the lives of their children, and we must be careful with that authority. We must use that authority lovingly and in a wise way. And so this command, do not provoke, do not irritate, do not exasperate, embitter, your child. Don't do that. How? How do I exasperate my children? How do I provoke my children? Well, we do that when we're harsh with them, when we make unreasonable demands of them, when we constantly criticize them, when we depreciate their worth, when we, out of excessive discipline, fail to show tenderness and affection. Or when we refuse to discipline and by doing so fail to show love and affection. As parents, we must discipline, but we must always discipline in love. Children should know that you love them and know that you are the authority in the home. It, so both of those things. So I'm just, I'm going to talk about spanking. Now the kids say, don't mention that one. No, no. It's just in this, I, I think it's a perfect thing. So, right, if you don't discipline your child, they will not know you're the authority. And you can give them all the disappointing looks in the world. And you can, you can set them in a corner all day long. But if there isn't corporal punishment, they're not going to respect you as the authority. Now, I get it. That looks different in different cases. It always does. It always does. Even with the same child, it always looks different. That needs to be there, but never in such a way that they don't know. I don't doubt for one second that they love me. That both of those things are there. They don't doubt your authority, and they don't doubt your love and your affection for them. Both of those things. And we're told that if we fail our children in this way, the result is they'll become discouraged, disheartened, a broken spirit. You know uh, John Newton, he said, my father, I know that my father loved me, but he did not want me to see it. That's a child who's discouraged. 
Once again, God's our example. Psalm 103 says, As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Hebrews 12, 6. The Lord disciplines those he loves. It is the parent-child relationship. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Parents, do not, do not be harsh with your children. Do not exasperate them. Let your dealings be filled with compassion and love. Third relationship. Notice it's a work-centered relationship. Verses 22 all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. Here's relationships at work. Now, don't be thrown off by the language of masters and bond slaves or slaves. This is not race-based slavery. But I want to say it's not the exact same thing as our employment situations now, okay? Yet for our context, employment's probably the closest application. There's a big difference, though. If you don't like what your boss tells you to do, you know what you can do? You can quit. Slave couldn't do that. They couldn't just quit. So if you continue to work for, for your employer, here's some biblical principles for you. Apply these in your work relationship. Workers, obey your bosses. This is the longest set of commands, and he speaks at these to the slaves in this relationship. It's the same word to obey. It's the same word as the children are commanded to obey their parents. Workers, obey your bosses. It's broken into four different applications. Notice how he breaks them down. Verse 22, in all things, at all times, even when they're not looking. So in everything, tasks you like to do and tasks you don't want to do. Tasks that you hate. Things you like, things you don't like. Remember, as a worker, you can always quit. But if you don't, the, the slave didn't have that option. So if you're not quitting, you do what they tell you, whether you like it or not. Notice, they're not only to um, when their eye is on you and to win favor. So when I was at UPS, so I, I, one morning I'm finishing up my, it was a Saturday, I'm finishing up my truck, and I just noticed my supervisor standing on the belt there watching, and I don't know why, I just started moving faster, started working harder, started uh, being a little more precise. I was working with my boss's eye on me to win his favor. What's Colossians say I should do? I should have been working that way the whole time, the whole time. Before my boss walked up, I should have been working that way. Notice he says, with sincerity in the heart and reverence to the Lord. In verse 22, second part of 22. So as a Christian, we put Christ at the center of our relationships, including work relationships. Don't segregate that from your Christian faith. Don't look over your shoulder, see if your boss is watching. The Lord is watching. Do all your work with sincerity. Sincerity of the heart, reverence to the Lord. Work, he says, 
Verse 23, work with all your heart is working for the Lord and not for men. So here's, why do you do this? Why? Because ultimately we're not working for men, we're working for Christ. And that should totally transform our work ethic, our, our, our attitudes towards work. When you make working for Christ your primary concern, you're watching Jesus and not watching the clock. I wonder, do people in your workplace know you're a believer? Uh, I, that's an honest question, and a question we should all ask ourselves. But the second question is maybe even more important. If they know you're a believer, does it help or does it hurt the cause of the gospel? If you're known as a Christian in your workplace, did you know if they all think you're a Christian, it hurts the cause of the gospel? If you're identified as the laziest, most complaining employee, you, you, time, you save time like nobody's business, and you're, or you're just like all the other guys there, all the other women there. If they know you're a Christian, does that testimony help or hurt the cause of the gospel? The fourth area, he says, no, there's no favoritism. <laughs> the Lord will reward you for good work, but he's going to judge those who do wrong. So verses 24 and 25, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. If anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, there is no favoritism. God is not showing favoritism. And that's a really amazing word for these slaves because guess what? The Roman world did show favoritism. The master was shown favoritism over the slave. The slave was not permitted to receive an inheritance. But here we're told, hey, you work as unto the Lord and you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. When you work for God, God is going to treat you not just as his son but as heirs. Paul sums it up this word. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. This is kind of like the Old Testament version of, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Remember Joshua says that? Here's the New Testament version of, of that. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And this is really the central point for this entire section. Husband, wife, parent, child, worker, boss. Is it the Lord Christ that you are serving? It should be, completely. You, you've ever heard the phrase, everybody answers to somebody? Well, there are many bosses in this life, but there's only one Lord. There's only one Lord. And the Lord will not only reward you for good, he's going to judge those who do wrong, verse 25. If anyone does wrong, you'll be repaid for his wrong. There is no favoritism. So God treats everyone justly and fairly. He will not favor the slave over the master or the master over the slave. Each one will receive what they deserve. And 25 is this hinge verse, right? Because you can hear as he tells the slaves, obey your masters. If you do wrong, God's going to reward you for the wrong. You'll be punished. You can hear the master saying, that's right, Paul. You tell him, Paul. And then he turns it, doesn't he, to the master's. Masters, take care of your bondservants. Workers, obey your bosses, but then the instruction for the bosses, bosses, you take care of your workers. You provide for them what is right and fair. 
That's what you do. As a, in supervision, two things. You provide what is right and fair. Colossians 4.1. Masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. God treats everyone justly and fairly. Masters, you do the same. You do that to your employees. And know that you have a master in heaven. You, you may be an earthly master, not a slave here, but every earthly master has a heavenly master. So all masters are actually slaves when it comes down to it. Both workers and bosses, they're both working for who? God. So we should treat one another accordingly. Warren Wearsby said, uh, the golden rule in the workplace is be the worker you want to have if you were the boss and be the boss you would want to have if you were the worker. In our relationships, in all of them though, isn't it Christ is the example? Husbands, wives, look to Christ. The relationship between Christ and his church, it's modeled in the marriage relationship. Children, look at Jesus who always obeyed his parents for his example. Parents, look to Christ, his compassion, his example. That's your example for your relationship with your children. Bosses and workers, look to the Lord. He is the ultimate reward giver and judge in the motivation for how we relate one to another. Paul says true spirituality is demonstrated in the practical day-to-day, down-to-earth relationships, home and workplace. Paul does not compartmentalize, does he? The office and the home, the church and our living room. Christ is all in all. He is central. Christ is center of the universe. He's, cent- he's the central to the church. He's central to the workplace. He's central to how I am a, a, a spouse, how I'm a parent, how I'm a, how I'm a child. Christ is central. It's the Christ-centered life that I'm pursuing. So I want to pause there because that's just three categories. You may, we may have walked through those things and said, you know, what? I don't fit any of those. You've got different categories. That's cool. He just picked three. But they're set, these specific three are set in a wider context, aren't they? So you just, you think of your own relationships, right? What are they? Friend, citizen, maybe you're courting someone, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a student, maybe you're a seller, maybe you're a buyer, maybe you're divorced. There's all kinds of relationship. They all look very different. Do you compartmentalize those? Do you put those in their own separate drawers, to use Ted Tripp's language, from your spiritual life? Or can you apply the faith once for all, handed down to all the saints in every aspect, in every arena of your life? Can you, whatever categories you think of yourself in, Say, I have been raised with Christ. I seek the things that are above, where Christ is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I set my mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. I, am, I have died. My life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is my life, appears, then I will appear with him in glory. 
I will put to death what is earthly in myself. Sexual immorality, impurity, and passion, uh, or passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On those things, the wrath of God is coming. I used to walk in those things. I was living in them. But now, I put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. I'm not going to lie and put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Is he all in all in, in whatever relationship categories you have? Is he all and in all? Maybe your category is you're not a believer. I don't want you to hear this message and think wrongly. You have to put first things first. It's not what your relationships look like. But our relationships look a certain way once we become believers. You must put first things first. So what do I mean by that? There are many submissive housewives and spouses who go to hell. There are many loving husbands who go to hell. There are many, well maybe not many, obedient children who go to hell. There are honest and hard-working people, men and women, hardest workers you know, and they go to hell. There are fair and kind bosses who do right by all their employees, and they go to hell. We have to put first things first. You look to Christ first, and then let him order the way in which you live. Live in, by his directives. Live for his glory. Maybe with all of our lives. So we're about to sing in Christ alone from life's first cry to final breath. Christ commands my destiny. Will, will you search your own heart and those very areas to which you come in contact every day, and maybe you, they have been separated, and would you say, no, let Christ be exalted in my life, every aspect of it. Maybe you're here and you're not a believer. Even as we sing, we're going to sing about what Christ has done for sinners like us, how on the cross he was crucified. Would you trust in the Lord Christ today and then live for him? Children, have you heard the instructions? Parents, have you heard the instructions? Workers, have you heard the instructions? Bosses, have you heard the instructions? Husbands, have you heard the instructions? Wives, have you heard the instructions? For all the rest of us. Have you heard the instructions?
Christ will be all and in all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is sure and true. And we hide it in our hearts that we not sin against you. So, Lord, help us walk in your ways. Help us, indeed. May our homes be ordered in such a way that brings you glory. May our relationships be structured in such a way that brings you glory. May we work and oversee in such a way that brings you glory. Lord, may we buy and sell. May we be the best of friends but all to the end that it brings you glory. Lord, these are just three areas that you mentioned. Help us. Help us to apply this consistently in every arena of our lives. And we ask it now in Christ's name. Amen.